want you to taste it first. All right. L'chaim. L'chaim. Cheers. Not That's bad. Good. That's, That's good. Not bad. I like it. Um, for the first couple podcasts, I got like a really nice bottle of local whiskey. Mm-hmm. For you, I got the cheapest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> that is, <laughs> Literally. That is... That's sort of how I roll. Yeah. This actually, this is not bad for cheap whiskey. It's $12. Tastes, tastes, tastes like Jack Daniels. You know, it has that like banana... Yeah. Banana flavor. I like it a lot. It's $12 yeah. from Trader Joe's. It's the cheapest thing I've ever seen. Well, we'll just have to drink a bunch of it. Yeah, we'll have to drink all of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's do this thing. Yeah, let's do it. How do Podcast we Podcast go. We just start. I, we already started. Okay, I'm probably cool. going to fade in on some of that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, theme music just happened. We're doing it. We're doing it. God, that theme music was great. Yeah, wasn't it good? I didn't actually hear it just now, but, but it was great. I bet, I bet it's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, this is Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury. I'm, I'm Jesse Mercury. I still feel really uncomfortable saying that, like right after the title. I usually avoid it. It's well, real... no, you sound good saying it. That's, all right. I'm yeah. going gonna, gonna to try to sound uh, confident next time. It's Just too late. try it again. Welcome to Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury. I'm Jesse Mercury. Wow. Wow. That was convincing. Thank you. Yeah. And my guest is the, the wonderful Divatron himself, Barton McGuire. Yep. Barton, how do we know each other? Oh, through some past lives. <laughs> Dark business in, in past <laughs> lives. Uh I guess we know each other through pretty much every, just about every musical project that that we uh, participate in. That's true. We do so together. We do. Yeah. And we're better for it. Yeah, we are. We're uh, compatriots in Mugatu mm-hmm. for a short time longer until you move to New Zealand like a bitch. Yeah. Uh, classic bitch move, <laughs> moving to New Zealand. <laughs> um, but yeah, you've, you know, Audrey... Audrey always gets on my case about calling multiple people my best friend, mm-hmm. but you're my best friend. Oh, Jesse, <laughs> you're my best friend, so, yeah. except for my other best friends. Yeah, but, you yeah. should have many. Yeah. There should be room in your heart for many best friends. I agree. Well, because well, cause different friends are good at different things. Yeah. I don't know, different food. There's like many best foods. There's yeah. the best food for... Well, I don't know where I'm going with this. There's you know like I mean. sushi and Mexican food. Yeah, there's like a yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And to choose between them would be folly. Yeah, yeah. And you're Mexican food. I am Mexican food. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so for this podcast, we're gonna do some rad shit. We're gonna talk about your solo music, mm-hmm. um, which is science fiction in nature, and then we're gonna talk about a bunch of sci-fi, mainly Jurassic Park. We're gonna yeah. talk all the way through Jurassic Park. Yeah. And it's going to be glorious. It's going to be great. Um, we can segue into that nicely because I have a track. It's kind of about Jurassic Park. Um, should I talk about my project? Let's let's listen to this first. Right. I just want to blow some minds. Great. And absolutely, we'll talk about your project. But this is uh, Divatron, the Great Pacific Garbage Vortex. That's it. That's the Great it. Pacific Garbage Vortex. Here we go. Let's do it.
Slow fade. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. I feel very relaxed now. That's sort of... That's about as chill as a garbage vortex yeah. gets. It's also, like, by far the longest um, of those sorts of tracks that I've done. Um, it takes its time. Yeah. It's chill, and then it's intense, then it's chill. That's honestly, that's that's what... That was, like, the general arc that I was feeling, and the sort of the reason why I started feeling like it was connected to Jurassic Park. The track's oh. called... Isla Nublar or Isla Nublar. How the fuck do you say that word? I don't know. I, I feel know. like I've been saying Isla because that's, there's like a island in uh, Scotland that's yeah, yeah. spelled similarily. Um, the Isla Island feel, that is pronounced Isla. But I feel like Isla. then I saw the new Jurassic Park movie and someone said Isla. And I, I was like, like oh, Isla shit. Sorna. Yeah. Isla Nublar. Isla Nublar. Isla Sorna. Dude, let's so, look it up on the internet right now. Yeah, but let's, let's see what John Hammond would say. Like, pull up some YouTube shit. Do you remember a scene where John Hammond says the name of the island? Like, obviously, um, I remember the scene in the first movie where he's pitching Dr. Grant and Dr. Sadler on going to the yeah. park. And he's, I've he's got like, an island. I've got an island. Yeah. Off the coast of Costa Rica. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if he actually says the name. I feel like maybe the scene in the beginning of the second movie when he's on his, like, in his, in his bed, bed. In his house. I think it is Isla Nublar. Anyway, but that's why I named the track that, because uh, the the opening, it is slow. Like, it builds. There's yeah. no immediate gratification. I guess there is that scene in the very beginning of the first movie, um, that classic scene where, you know, where they're like... totally immediate gratification. That is <laughs> immediate gratification. But then for the most part, after that, yeah. then it like, it takes its time developing. Then and... you're a lawyer on a boat being pulled like across the dock, you know? Yeah. Very strange cut and wonderful. Yeah. Hammond hates inspections. They hold everything up. He also hates lawyers. Yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, but no, the first, other than the very first scene, that whole first like third of that film is not an action movie at all. No, it's like it's slow and beautiful and especially as a child like totally full of wonder and anticipation. Yeah. And just and just like flying into the island. It's just like the whole thing is gorgeous and the whole you know the, the raptor first... birth. It's so much like the wonder you get when you watch ET. Oh, where yeah. there's like a creature that has been made real, mm -hmm. you know, that shouldn't be real. And that's what I think about Jurassic Park, the first movie, the most, is how it was like the perfect storm of special of effects. Of course, yeah. Like there is CG. But it's perfect. It's it's perfect because I don't think CG was sophisticated enough yet to over-rely on, right? Yeah. Like they had a bunch of tools at their disposal and... They couldn't use any of them as a crutch. Like, it just wasn't cheap or easy enough to do CG, and certainly not effective enough. And yeah. so you've got these, this, like, wonderful combination of uh, CG, of animatronics, of course. In any case, the point is they used, like, a variety of different techniques, and they had to consider which techniques they used for each shot. And, you know, right. in that, like, super iconic scene, like, probably my favorite scene... In all of the movies, which is just like the like quintessential T Rex scene, you know, yeah. at night in the rain in yeah. the cars, um, 
I mean, just like shot by shot, like you have animatronics and then computer graphics and animatronics and then computer graphics. And, and then, then Jeff Goldblum. And then, yeah. and then Jeff Goldblum. Which is then, a special effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a very special effect. Yeah. Um, so my history with that movie, I do want to talk a bunch more about your music. But yeah, yeah. No, let's talk let's, about Jurassic Let's roll on Jurassic Park, Park for yeah. a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my history with this movie is a little bit strange because I wasn't allowed to watch it when I was a kid. Uh-huh. I was kind of, uh, up until a certain age, I was very, um, you know, held back from more violent movies. I was explaining this to some friends yesterday, how my parents were pretty strict when I was younger. And then I got to a certain age where they just kind of said, okay, you know, like we've raised you with, with like good values and now you can do whatever the fuck you want. Um, so my rebellion was like watching the Simpsons, you know, because I wasn't oh, I allowed to watch the Simpsons not or Beavis the and Simpsons. Yeah. Simpsons. That, that is <laughs> or not Beavis and Butthead either, you know? Uh, and then wow. I started watching those shows like out of rebellion, I guess, but I didn't really go through a rebellious phase as a child. That happened when I was like 28 years old. Um, but anyway, so I wasn't allowed to see Jurassic Park when it came out. And I was obsessed with Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. I was like, he was my absolute favorite. I had done a report on Steven Spielberg in school. Um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind in particular being one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, so I didn't get to see Jurassic Park right away. And also because my parents saw it and they thought it was going to be too scary for me. Um, so then... It, Wait, they saw Jurassic Park? Yeah, they saw Jurassic Park thought it would be too scary for me. So then it kind of built in suspense in my mind for years. Mm-hmm. And then I became afraid of the movie because I hadn't seen it yet. Well, that's funny that you say that because I was scared to see it as well. Really? Yeah. It was a big I, deal when it came out. I, like I didn't people see our it age were afraid. Yeah, yeah. I think I forget what age I was. I must have been first grade or something. Um, like a little kid. Yeah, nineteen ninety two. Yeah, I was old enough to ninety two. I was seven, eight. seven or eight years old. Yeah. Um. I was scared to see it. I remember seeing previews for it, and I was really into dinosaurs, especially as a kid, especially even a few years younger than that, like when I was like five and six. Like that's what, if someone asked me what I wanted to be when I grow up, I would have, like without hesitation, said a dinosaur. A, a paleontologist. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to be a paleontologist, um, and I love dinosaurs. I remember actually, I have this really distinct memory in second grade. It was like the first day of school. And our teacher had like gathered us around. We were talking about all the things we were going to do that year, all the different, you know, we were going to learn about bugs. We were going to learn about whales. We were going to learn about math and fractions or something. And she asked if we had any questions. And I raised my hand and just asked very plainly as if there had been some mistake like, well, when are we learning about dinosaurs? <laughs> like the, the notion to me That's what in, school's for. In, in the whole world yeah. of knowledge, <laughs> dinosaurs and things about dinosaurs was at least like half of the things that you were supposed to <laughs> learn and know. And so it was impossible to me that we would spend a whole year at school and never address the topic of dinosaurs. Um, and that's just about, actually, second grade must have been just about when that movie came out. Yeah. yeah and I was, I was so obsessed with it. And at the same time, really scared to see it yeah um and did you see it in the theaters when it came out i didn't see it in theaters no yeah, me neither um but i didn't see it for a couple of years i think i saw it shortly after it was released um to video but loved it and just like watched it and rewatched it and but had nightmares about it like i yeah i've had like dozens of nightmares of like Velociraptors like chasing me in That's my sleep. But totally worth it. I mean, they're great. <laughs> yeah. Great dreams. Great Lots dreams. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that I I think that my parents actually got me the book on tape 
So I listened to the book before I saw the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that was because at that point I had developed a real fear of seeing it because they, they had, you know, kind of built it, built it up as being really <laughs> scary. So I developed a real fear. I mean, I was, you know, eight years old when this started. Yeah. And I think I must have been around like 10 or 11 when I actually saw the movie. But I, I, if I'm remembering this correctly, and my mom will correct me, <laughs> she'll, she'll email me and tell me because she is the one person who listens to this. <laughs> um, <laughs> she uh, got, I think they got me the book on tape and we listened to it. And then I saw the movie kind of knowing what was going to happen. So having like a sense of control going into it. And the first like third, the first half of the movie, the part that is really heavy on science fiction and a sense of wonder is the part that I just fell in love with. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just so into it. And I liked the rest of the movie, but I felt like something was missing from the rest of the movie because as soon as you get attacked by the T-Rex, your sense of wonder kind of goes away and you're just in survival mode. Like the well, story builds and builds and builds and then you get to this point and you just stay there for the rest of the movie, um, which is how it should be. You know, this is not a criticism, uh, but I just rewatched it after seeing Jurassic World mm-hmm. uh, and still felt that way. Like years later still felt like I wanted some sort of like scientific discovery in the second half. The, the one part that kind of gives it to you is when they discover the eggs and, uh, and, and like, life, life found, found a way. way. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And there's a few other, uh, overall, I agree with you. They sort of, there is development and then there is, there's like cause and effect, yeah. right? There, you, you like build up this scenario. And then once the scenario is established, it, Hold on to your butts. Yeah, hold on to your butts <laughs> because there are consequences and we're going to see them played out. Um, and there's not a lot that's going to be too dynamic and changing. Um, that said, there is still wonder. I mean, I love the scene up in the tree mm-hmm. uh, when they wake up to the Brachiosauri. Yeah. Uh, and they, what, they sneeze all over Lex. Yeah. I mean, like that whole scene is like really uh, sort of wonderful. And as a kid... That's like that's the moment where the kids interact with uh with the dinosaurs and I feel like when we yeah. saw it of course like we were more the age of Tim and Lex and like you could really relate to that scene. So that was yeah. really wonderful. They don't they never really show the velociraptors until um that's they're true. a threat, right? That's like true. you never yeah. actually see them. And so I do think there is still like a little bit of anticipation and development um and there's like a, this payoff where you actually see these creatures that like in the very first scene and sort of throughout the movie keep being referenced. I guess you see the one that's being hatched, but for the most part, you don't actually, and you see the eye of the one through right. the cage in the beginning, right. <laughs> but you know, um, you see the velociraptors for the first time, but, but I know what you mean. It, uh, there's not too much more scenario building yeah and that's what i love about early spielberg movies is that is the the drawn out sense of wonder throughout the whole thing like when you watch close Mm -hmm. encounters your sense of wonder grows as the movie goes along to the point where you're at the end and you forget that you're even a human being because you're just so like overwhelmed by what's happening in the movie Mm -hmm. um in this movie you know is is very different in a very it's honestly in a really cool way in that you get to the point where like science has failed you and now you're fucked and hmm. you just got to run. Hmm. Um, and I, it's really effective. Like I really, I'm not complaining. I love it. I love it. I'm mean, Jurassic yeah. Park's one of my favorite. Yeah. All time favorite movies. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I, interesting. I love, I love the science fiction element of that movie. Like the, I, 
the reason that I think that movie works so well is that it's a very subtle sci-fi movie where like science fiction doesn't have to be spaceships, you know? <laughs> I think you're the first person to ever describe Jurassic Park as being subtle. subtle. Yeah. Well, oh, so what I mean by that is that the idea that we could create dinosaurs was just ahead of what we were capable of doing in 1992, right? Mm-hmm. Like, And the- now, over 20 years later, there's tons of dinosaurs. Ton- they're everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, what like, a nuisance. Yeah, yeah. It didn't, didn't it seem like it could happen, it, you know? It seemed like it could happen. Because like, they I were about remember... to clone sheep for the first time. Yeah, and they yeah. did. Well, and then they did, and yeah. then they did. <laughs> no, cloning was real. Like, that yeah. was a really relevant um, sort of scientific pursuit at the time. It was in the news a lot. I mean, they're talking now about sort of pulling a Jurassic Park stunt with the woolly mammoth and using sort of DNA that had been reclaimed. Have you heard about this? I haven't heard about this. Oh, yeah. They're totally... There's like some... I think there's like one specimen in particular that was like especially well-preserved. They have essentially an entire body of a woolly mammoth. Wow. And they... I don't know. I saw a documentary about this. I'm sure that there's some news that's progressed... Um, since that's more up to date than what I'm going to say now, but they were sort of doing this like really thorough autopsy and trying to yield from it, from the blood or from the hair or from the bone or all sorts of different tissues, trying to yield some intact DNA Hmm. because that whole little spiel with like Mr. DNA in the (laughs) beginning of Jurassic Park, like it is, it is true. It's full, it's full of holes and it's really hard to find. I guess they have like, they just have, tons and tons of genetic material, but actually finding cells that are healthy enough that the DNA, that like the genetic material isn't deteriorated to the point where they can't like replicate it in a, mm. in a useful way and actually create an organism um, is really, really hard. And I don't know if they can just use frog DNA to fill in the <laughs> sequence gaps. Just and plus some, we've like, all elephant. seen how that ends, right. you know, like that ends, uh, ends poorly. What's the name of the dinosaur in Jurassic World that they made? Oh, I don't remember. Oh, it's like right on the tip of my brain. Indominus Rex. That's, That's right. It. Yeah, the Indominus Rex. <laughs> you get the Indominus Mammoth is what would happen if you put frog DNA in there. The reason that we wanted to talk about this is because we both saw Jurassic World, mm-hmm. and then we both went back and watched the original three. That's I right. did that because you did that, and I was jealous, and I wanted to see it. I watched, I watched two and a half of the original three. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't make it all the way through Jurassic Park 3, and it's not that I just couldn't, but I didn't. Yeah. Uh, but I do, I'm not a huge fan of, of that one. I um, I want to wait to talk about that, but I love Jurassic Park 3. Do you really? I oh, really let's like talk it. about it. Let, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about uh, we'll it. We'll get there in a We'll get there eventually. Few. The thing that I really realized um, re-watching all those movies is I think... I think the first one stands out not only in the sense that it's iconic um, and that it's just like remarkably compelling, but I think it's a different genre. Um, Mm. I think that all four are, of course, science fiction, um, but the second, third, and fourth movies, they are action-adventure movies and I really think the first one is in many ways a horror film. Yeah. Like it, it's people who don't understand the scenario they're in and they're not prepared for it in any way. And 
you don't see the monsters. Like, you don't see the T-Rex. It doesn't come and get the goat when they're in the cars watching and waiting for it. You know, yeah. you don't see the T-Rex. You don't see the Velociraptors until they're upon you. And I feel like the pacing of it is... It is like a creature horror film. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, a, I, I would think of it as like a sci-fi horror film. Yeah. Yeah. And and it is scary. Like, it yeah. is... They're all great. Even Jurassic Park 3, um, I think there's, like, super high entertainment value. Um, they all have... They're all, like, really exciting. Um, but the first one, there was, like, a horror element. And I think more people talked about that movie being scary yeah. than anyone talked about the subsequent movies being being scary. I mean, everyone yeah. talked about people loved them, people hated them, people thought the special right. effects were great, but they weren't like scary. Yeah. Uh, in the same way. It's it's funny cuz it's hard to be scared by it now because mm-hmm. we've seen it so many times. I wish I could go back and have that experience for the first time of being scared by that movie. Cuz the first time I saw it, I had read the book or heard the book, so I knew what to expect and I was still scared, yeah. you know. Um the all the stuff with Dennis Nedry stealing the embryos and running away is so thrilling. It's yeah. just so thrilling, you know? Oh, yeah. Like I him still... being like nervous and trying to get all the embryos into his little Barbasol can and then like running out into the woods and not knowing where to go. At that part of the movie, I'm just so on board with everything that's happening. And then he gets he gets his guts eaten out, you know, in like a really like violent way. <laughs> well, he gets his guts eaten out in the book. I don't think we really get the same gut the guts action in the movie. Maybe that's why I'm imagining it because it was in the book. But there's some really, I can remember that as a kid. Yeah, being like, his intestines like, like fell wow, out. Yeah, his intestines, yeah. he realized what was in his hands was his uh, own yes, intestines Yes, I remember that exactly, yeah. It's like really vivid and kind of gross, um, but really scary. Yeah, um, maybe maybe it was scarier for me because I'd read the book at maybe. that point. The book, the book is very scary. It's um, great I, too. I saw the movie first and then I then I read the book, but you know, both great and different in some ways and and all very scary. Yeah. Um I agree that the whole Dennis Nedry storyline is it's so great because you're so frustrated with him of course but at the same time <laughs> you I'm love him. always I'm always hoping for him to make it to the Every docks. time. <laughs> and actually when I rewatched it recently, you know he's dri- he's driving Maybe in the rain and he time. can't see where he's going and uh and he hits the sign, and you see the sign for a split second, you know, in the arrow and which yeah. direction is it pointing. And this time, I, like, remembered which direction it was <laughs> before he hit it, when in the, you know, fraction of a second that you actually see it, so that I could help him or something, so yeah. that I could be like, like, no, it's left, it's go to the left, Dennis, go to the left. Wayne Knight, yeah. Newman, Newman, go that way. <laughs> uh, also, Wayne Knight is fucking rad. Like... Wayne Knight has barely aged since he made Jurassic Park. I saw him on Hot in Cleveland recently, and he looks quite good. Jesse, I don't know who Wayne Knight is. Who Wayne is Knight, Dennis Nedry. Oh, is that Dennis Nedry? Yeah, and know. he played Newman. I just know him Newman as, on I, Seinfeld. I know Newman. I know Dennis okay. Nedry. I didn't know. <laughs> and, I didn't like, know the actor's name. What's his uh, scene with uh, Dodgson? Like when he Dodson. We got Dodson, Dodson here. We got Dodson here, where yeah. he puts the the shaving cream on the piece of pie. <laughs> like what a great classic, classic thing. Uh, and Spielberg movies are always so full of those like little moments that are just wonderful that add you know, realness to the world because like who who would take the extra time to put something like that into a movie, you know? That one scene with with Nedry before you get to the park with him in the very beginning of the movie sets him up so well. Oh yeah. And you never see Dotson again and it really leads to like the shit hitting the fan. Um but it's also 
kind of like natural the way it happens, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's all it's all built up so well because you know that the dinosaurs have to get out. This is my this is the thing with the Jurassic Park movies that are that's really tough is that the dinosaurs have to get out and kill people. Mm-hmm. Like they have to get loose. Mm-hmm. So doing that in a way that feels natural is tough. Well, the second movie, there's no cages. There's nothing to get right. out of. People. People go to that right. island. Right, in the second and third movie, the fact that anyone goes to the island seems crazy. And mm-hmm. they have to make up, like, a excuse. In the second mm-hmm. movie, uh, in both movies, they do the thing where, like, you know, you'd have to move heaven and earth to get me to that island, and then immediately and then they're going to the island. Yeah. And, it, you know, in the, in the second movie, it's, like, Malcolm's girlfriend is on the island, so he has to go get her back. So he's just trying to get off the island immediately from the moment he gets there. Which at least... At least they do that. Yeah. yeah. But I dislike the second movie. Like, uh, I, I... I don't. I dislike... I dislike the San Diego portion. We've talked about this before, yeah. how I... When I rewatched <laughs> that movie, I end it when they're on the helicopter heading back to the mainland. Because yeah. I just don't need... That's a fine resolution, and it's just been a whole, like, thrilling sequence. I, I, I really like the second movie, but I do know what you mean. They need an excuse... To get people there. Yeah. Like, there's no excuse needed to get people to the first Jurassic Park. Right. It's this, like, incredible investment opportunity and this wondrous thing no one's ever seen. They don't need an excuse to get people to Jurassic World, the, the park. Right. Because everyone would go. I mean, if that was real, you and I, we would... We would already be there. We'd right. be there right now. The conceit of both of those movies is how do they get free instead mm-hmm. of how do you get people there. Um, the first one... Being the fact that, like, Dennis Nedry is trying to sell off embryos and escape and, you know, make himself super rich. And it makes perfect sense. And it's very natural. And the idea that he would make the fences go down for a second so that he can get off the island is so incredibly fucked up. But something that, a, like, a, a greedy asshole might do, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, the fourth movie, the Indominus Rex tricks them into letting it out. And that was great. I loved that. I thought that was fantastic. And then that moment where it gets out of its cage is wonderful, you know? And, like, Chris Pratt's under the car, and the Indominus Rex is out. And, like, that was intense and fantastic, and I loved it. That's a really intense scene. I I was a little frustrated that they were, I don't know, they were like, yeah, like, we built the most, you know, sophisticated and dangerous and terrifying hybrid dinosaur ever. And it's like, and yeah, like the walls are pretty high. They're pretty high. They're making us reinforce them. Like, yeah, there's scratch marks up the side, but they don't go to the top. I mean, (laughs) it's fine. It's like, well, no, you just created, you just said you must, you just created the most like horrifying monster that the world's ever seen. I mean, you gotta build, build, put a roof on that. Not just walls. I don't know. It seemed a little casual. I I was into it because, the idea in the fourth movie that really struck a chord with me is that people are not really treating the, the animals with the reverence that they deserve because they're so used to it. Mm-hmm. The idea that, you know, yeah, we've done this. Like, we've made this crazy thing. We're making so much money off of it. This is day-to-day for us now. Like, we're in control of this situation. So, like, when we create this new dinosaur, we'll be in control of it. Mm-hmm. They just kind of assume that. And the idea that, you know, nature always finds a way. Um, and, like, you really can't be in control of nature is what really resonates with me about the whole series. And I felt like the fourth movie got that. And that scene in particular was, you know, nature finding a way. And mm-hmm. it just really struck a chord with me. So mm-hmm. I was 
I agree that it's a little silly, but I don't care when things are silly if if there's like a thematic resonance to it that I like. Mm-hmm. Also, Chris Pratt. <laughs> he was great. He was yeah, great he was in great. that movie. Um, um, the second movie, rewatching it, so you had said this thing about how you stop the movie before they go to San Diego. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I'm like, that's great. I'm going to watch the movie with that in mind. Still didn't like the movie for, oh, for several reasons. I, I, I feel like there is a ton of discovery. Like we see new dinosaurs. They're yeah. like exploring the island. They see the, the herd. And of course, it's sort of um, oh, it's disrupted by the whole like engine crew um, of conquistadors. Yeah. But... Uh, but there's still like this whole, uh, there's like an experience of beauty first, you know, there's the stegosauri and they're yeah. like protecting their young and you have this like wonderful interaction with the baby stegosaurus. And uh, I don't know, they like see all these different dinosaurs. They set some of them free. They rescue the baby T-Rex. And that's of course like leads to problems, but it's sort of like yeah. this wonderful thing. They're idealists. Yeah. And they're like discovering this like incredible, uh, you know, man-made phenomenon. Um, and I don't know. I feel like part of that, like recreate some of the feelings of the first movie for me, yeah. as opposed to like the third one, I guess my big problem with the third one is there's no, there's no harmless dinosaurs in the whole mm. damn thing. Like, they land on That's that island and that airplane, and then they get out of the airplane. And there's no stegosaurus. There's no sick triceratops. There's no, you know, bronchosaurus. Angry in herds spinosaurus that wants to kill you. They do move in herds. Like no, it's like <laughs> it's right away. It's like they they get out the airplane. They're still on the tarmac, and they hear some horrible roar. Yeah. And then that there's a dinosaur eating people. You never see a. Uh, like a wondrous, beautiful animal. Like you only see monsters and that's it. There is the moment when they're on the river and they, they look up and they see like the plane full of dinosaurs and Alan Grant, they, they just think they thought that Billy had just died. First of all, don't name an action character, Billy. (laughs) Um, But they thought that Billy had just died. I'm pretty sure it was, it was that point in the movie when they're on the river and then they look up uh, and they see this like, plane of dinosaurs and it's gorgeous and alan grant says something along the lines of like oh i'd almost forgotten you know Mm -hmm. where what i like about that movie is that in the others you have you you have exactly what you're talking about how you have those moments of beauty early on Mm -hmm. this one kind of switched it up a little bit where you get there and you're in immediate peril but then um through the course of trying to survive and maybe becoming a little bit one with the island you find those moments of beauty later um, and everyone hates the kid in Jurassic Park 3. They think that the fact that he could survive for eight weeks is, like, preposterous. I like that. I like the idea that the only person who can, like, live in harmony with this island and survive is someone who's young and doesn't have, like, all of these, like, preconceptions about it. Yeah, the kid doesn't bother me. What bothers me is that there is a sequence where there is a velociraptor talking. Oh, everyone in hates a dream that. To Alan it's Grant. a dream. Who cares? It's a dream. I love that part. I yeah, have no problem with that at all. Like everybody points that out as the thing that's stupid about that movie, where the raptor's like, "Alan, Alan." <laughs> I have no problem. With it. He's asleep. I mean, dude, if I were Alan Grant, that's what I would dream. You know, maybe. So my problem with the second movie is that 
nobody is developed at all. Vince Vaughn's character is the most underdeveloped character <laughs> ever, where you have no idea who he is. He's some sort of like freedom fighter that maybe like he he starts out as just no, a photographer. He's, he's sort of like a he's a photographer. You think that like, but he's, he's got this sort of He's like he, he's got John this, like, Hammond's secret plan. They never explain that. Like what They never that? explain that. No, I guess he's like an environmentalist. Right. Um, Which they barely explain. Yeah. And all of the people, all of the InGen people really like him, you know? He's like one of the boys. But they don't, they don't explain any of it. They don't go into depth with any fair, of it. Fair enough. I will give you poor character development. And the one, the main character that, of that movie is... Ian Malcolm, mm-hmm. Jeff Goldblum, who mm-hmm. is in fine form in the beginning of the film. You know, like he's he's gold blooming all over the place he's, in the beginning of the he's, film. He's blooming left and right. Yeah, and yeah. it's great, and I love it. Uh, but he, like, the last thing in the world that he wants to do is go to the island. So your main character is doing the last thing in the world that he wants to do, yeah, and but he he's has doing it to rescue someone who he loves, and it makes sense, right? Like, I think that his daughter sneaking in mm. in the boat or in the like trailer or whatnot. I think that's very campy. Yeah, uh, I didn't mind that I as much. Like, I just I, feel like I watching believe... a movie about someone who doesn't want to be somewhere is just less compelling to me. Like, I I feel like he is, like, suffering the whole movie. I don't want to watch Jeff Goldblum suffer unless he's turning into a fly, in which case I want to see it, you know? <laughs> sure. Uh... But it bums me out a little bit. The only, like, the person who really wants to be there, besides Sarah Harding, mm-hmm. is Muldoon 2.0, um, played by Pete Postlethwaite. I don't know how to say his name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't even know the character's name. And then I also really like Toby from the West Wing. I really like I really like Toby. Yeah. Wait, what is this? Is, uh, is his name Toby in the movie? It's not. No. Let's call him Toby because okay. I don't remember. I, uh, I don't remember to- any of the characters' names, which I think is a, a poor sign for character development. Uh, fair. That is fair. That said, I feel like I don't remember any character names from Jurassic Park 3 other than Billy and Alan Grant. And the and- Kirby's. The Kirby's, oh. but that's it. That's all the characters. I mean, there's like five people in that movie. <laughs> oh, there's, there's the kid. They all have first names. There's all the sort of mercenaries that they bring with them. Yeah. And the mercenaries are the first ones to die, and you just don't care because like they haven't been developed. They've been developed even less than all these Lost World characters you're talking about. And you're you're supposed to care about their deaths, but you're like, well, that's fine. That's um, fine. What was the guy with the mustache? The mercenary with the mustache in the third movie? I don't know. He was like he had a great name. He was like like a character actor, I feel like. In yeah, the and he then was... he wasn't actually a mercenary. He was just uh, like when you find out that um, William H Macy's character, like Mr Kirby, is just like a, a tile salesman. Mm-hmm. Um, you find out that this mercenary guy is not actually a mercenary, and I don't remember what he actually does. Hmm. Um, and I enjoyed all that. I you know, I felt like the Kirbys were well introduced because they were introduced as this like rich power couple. And then, and then when you get there, you find out they're not at all who they claim to be once they get into the survival situation. And they're just there to save their kid. And they're maybe a little bit stupid, you know? Mm. Like, they're stupid with worry over their kid. So they don't really recognize what they're getting themselves into. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the fact that they trick Dr. Grant into going back. Because he would never go back. He said that in the scene prior. He's like, I will never go back. But then they give him a lot of money to fly over the island and just point out dinosaurs. And you he's just, into that. You just had this same problem... 
with Ian Malcolm. Right. Like, no, I, he I would, still. He would never. He would never go back. Right. But then there's like some scenario that gets him. There. But but they trick him, so he didn't choose it. You know, he's like flying he over the island. He knows there's a chance that there's something that's going to go wrong. Yeah. I still. I mean, I don't love it. Mm-hmm. I don't love it. I mm-hmm. do think that it is that they don't necessarily succeed. But I do think that they are in a narrative corner where they have to come up with something, and it's reasonably good to trick him into going. But the fact that you have back-to-back movies where you have to find a weird reason for someone to go to site B is is questionable. I do like the reasoning better in Jurassic Park 3 than in Jurassic Park 2. Um, but I like most things better about Jurassic Park 3. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Like Jurassic Park 2, uh, there's a lot that I like about it. The scene where they're in the 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 giant RV and it's dangling over the edge of the cliff mm-hmm. is wonderful. I love that. I scene. love the yeah. I love the pair of T-Rexes. I yeah. love them. I love them being up in the high hide. Yeah. And it's ra- something about also like the T-Rex attack in a vehicle and it's raining. Like maybe it's too similar to the first movie, but like, I like it, it just evoking that that like yeah. original T-Rex scene which is so classic but and very so differently. It's very different. I love the pair of T-Rex. I think that that's really scary but i love them being up in the high hide and you can see the trees moving yeah. and they're safe but there's still this like terrifying yeah sort of you're a... safe but your friends aren't right toby right, right. is not safe toby's gonna get bitten well, in half well, toby, in a couple minutes toby willingly goes down yeah he was safe and then he risks and loses his life i mean yeah that's and that's why toby's such a great character in yeah <laughs> but no, richard schiff that's the actor's name is that the name richard he's schiff. great he's great, great, great in the west wing and great in lost world he was so so in Once Upon a Time, but that's that's another I conversation. Watch, I watch that show. That'll be the next. <laughs> you have a set. You have a different fantasy uh, podcast with Jesse. Jesse fantasy Murphy. with Jesse Murphy. Yeah. It'll just be me and Gene talking about Once Upon a Time. I do the the thing that you were talking about with like stealing the baby T Rex. The animatronics of the baby T Rex are astonishingly good. Like yeah. that dinosaur is real. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. it seems so real because like Vince Vaughn is like carrying it around, and it's not attached to anything. That's one of the big things with animatronics is that it's always like attached to something. Mm-hmm. Like it's on the ground. Like the um, the Triceratops in the first movie was on, on the, the ground. ground. Or you see like the the head and neck of the T Rex, but it's not like you right. see its feet and it's moving. Yeah. Right, right. It's yeah. always like still in some way. That's the mm-hmm. first time I can really think of. It's the only dinosaur in any of the movies I can think of that is just free standing. Not attached to anything because, like, even the baby velociraptor in the first movie, when it's being hatched, is inside it's the inside egg. The, you're right. Yeah, that's interesting. I so you can tell that. it's a puppet because, like, something is down below it. Mm-hmm. But this T Rex is completely outside of the box, you know, and it seems so real. I actually read a little bit about this. They had a second. They had a couple versions of it. One of them was more articulated and would be on the table when they're operating on it. But there was like a version that was completely remote controlled hmm. that was like to be held in the arms. I, I was. I'm really into that part of the movie, you know, I lo- and in that part, the fact that like Ian Malcolm wants to leave so bad is just adding to the tension because everyone else is like, Oh, it's okay. We want to be here. Like we want to help. And he's just like, no, we can't be here. We can't be here. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it, there's a lot that I like about the first third of the movie. The second third of the movie, uh, the whole in-gen crew of all these mercenaries and our heroes team up for survival there's parts about it that are interesting, like the part, the part in the waterfall, which was taken from, I believe, the first book, was my favorite really? part of the first book, and I was really excited to see it in the second mm-hmm. movie. I really like that scene, but when I they're like, just like walking through the forest and being attacked by compies, I'm just like, ah, I'm Being bored. attacked by compies is a little boring, um, 
I like before the waterfall when the T-Rex comes in the tent and can like smell mm. the blood I did like on that. Sarah's I did like that. jacket. Yeah. Um, and I also love when they're all traveling through the woods. I love when they go into the tall grass. And I thought that the initial scene, I'm not as into the scene with the Velociraptors later when they're in the old compound. That but the terrible. scene in the grass, it's short. And I think yeah. it's really, really great. I think that is Where cool. you can see, you know, they're all walking through it and you can start to see these trails of grass as they're like, you know, pressed down by the walking Velociraptors, like approaching the group of people. Yeah. Um, I like that. That shot. I like where mm-hmm. the the grass is being pressed down. The one thing that always gets me about that scene, though, and this is just you know very esoteric, but the guy, the first guy to get attacked, you see the the trails of grass, and they're they're approaching, uh-huh. and you're like, oh shit, what's gonna happen? And then one of the mercenaries, like one of the dudes, turns around and screams. He like looks up at the camera, and he's ah, and then a velociraptor jumps out and gets him. And I'm like, what is that dude screaming at? No one's been attacked yet. We haven't seen any of the dinosaurs yet. What's he screaming? He screams, and then he gets attacked. I don't know. Weird. The timing is just like a few seconds off. Yeah. Um, anyway, I thought that point. was great. Let's move on to the to Jurassic World. Cause I, I have to we, say real quick about yeah. the uh, the Velociraptor scene that you're mm-hmm. talking about, or they're at the compound, mm-hmm. like the Site B compound. That scene is stupid. Um, <laughs> like, the the idea that, Ian Malcolm's daughter would do. Oh, that's. Oh, let's just not talk about that. The, that, that like her, like gymnastics. Stupid. Why are there gymnastics poles in Site B? Because they're not like just pipes. They're obviously gymnastics poles. And then she like spins around and kicks the the raptor out the window. And like the whole thing where where like Ian is running away from the raptors and like it's jumping through windows and he's jumping in and out of doors. It all seems so choreographed. Nothing seems plausible about it and mm-hmm. you could put that like you could put that music over it and mm-hmm. not change a shot and it would be like a great farce mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um that, that's the moment because i was watching it from the point of view of well maybe it's great until they leave to san diego and that last scene and that scene just killed it. it yeah 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 i forgot about the gymnastics thing i agree i fine there's a <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of that movie I really like. I really like, maybe it's just the first half of Lost World. Yeah. I think it's really compelling. And it's dinosaurs, so maybe it's easy to to make the magic. But then once you've like shown the animals, maybe it's a harder thing to like keep that sense of yeah. magic. And maybe that's the shortcoming yeah. of, of that movie. Um, One cool thing... I watched it with uh, my friend Audrey, not the Audrey that I've done a podcast with, mm-hmm. a different Audrey. And the uh, Dr. Hammond's house in the beginning was her high school. Like, she went to high school in that building. Wow. Which really blew my mind. Fancy First high of school? all, fancy fucking high school. Um, but she was, like, really excited to see it. She was like, yeah, that's where I went to high school. And wow. I, I was, it really tripped me out. Wow, careful. Yeah. And also... This suit cost more than your education. <laughs> <laughs> um... We have to touch on the San Diego thing just real briefly. Okay, fine. Um, you're just, you're just uh, hitting me when I'm down. With I mean, the there San are Diego parts thing. of this movie that I really like. I'm not, you know, I don't mean to be like a yeah, Debbie Downer. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, when I read about the movie a little bit after watching it the other night, I did find a quote. I think it was on Wikipedia because that's where I read about movies. Is Wikipedia? Mm-hmm. Sure. Steven Spielberg had like come out and said that he like 
two thirds of the way through making that movie, he's just like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like I, <laughs> like I, I don't know why I'm making this movie. Um, and I feel I feel that when I watch it, I feel like there's a lack of, um, like why are we doing this? Like just because you could, it didn't stop to think if they should, you know. Um, that that could be applied. Yeah, but to, then you end up in to San Diego. All of these movies. Um, I mean, the, I feel like the first one and the fourth one have like a raison d'etre, you know, like they they have a reason to exist. They're saying something. Like there's something, and there, there's a point that they're trying to get across through the story. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about the fourth movie. What, yeah. would, what would you say is the point? I I really enjoyed it. Um, I was anticipating it for years and years, this notion yeah. of Jurassic Park 4, and it did not let me down. Like, I actually liked it more than I thought I would, but I don't think I love it the way that I that you might. Hmm. Um, so what do you see as being, like, the, the message or the reason detra of that movie? I think that it is a parallel to our current society, mm-hmm. our, like, jaded internet society mm-hmm. that is so in their devices that they don't see the wonder of the world around them. And I mean, that's literally what's happening in the movie. Like you have the older brother who is like more interested in his texting his girlfriend back home or like looking at other girls in the park than he is in seeing dinosaurs, you know? I mean, I know that, you know, we were just talking a little while ago about how when we were eight, nine years old, we were just obsessed with dinosaurs. But when we were that kid's age, we were were obsessed with girls. We were really (laughs) girls too. But, But I know what you mean. I do love, and I think that that scene is like really, uh, I don't know, like represents this situation which they're trying to express. When the yeah. T-Rex, you know, you have this whole group of people and they're watching through the screen as the T-Rex is fed and he's, you know, he's just off like texting and talking on yeah. his phone. Yeah, like the the idea of losing your sense of wonder in the universe, uh, I think is, is a really powerful idea for a movie. Hmm. And to put these people in this situation where uh, if it were any of us, our sense of wonder would be like so intensely peaked. Um, but then... In the world of Jurassic Park, where ever since that San Diego incident, everyone in the world knows these dinosaurs exist. Right. So they've known since uh, in the parallel timeline, I guess 1997-ish. Uh, and then this movie is supposed to take place in the present day, so like 2014. So dinosaurs have become, you know, like passe. A little passe. Yeah. So it worked for me. It worked really well in the point of view of like what – just as a science fiction premise, what happens if you bring dinosaurs back and then people get used to it? Mm-hmm. And the idea is that you would stop being scared. You know, you would stop being careful or as careful. Uh, and Chris Pratt's character, Owen, is the person who's there to kind of say, like, guys, you know, don't lose your sense of, of fear. Don't lose your sense of wonder. We are fragile. They are mighty. You know, our, your sense of control is an illusion. Mm-hmm. And this is something I love about the first movie and love about the fourth movie is that your sense of control is an illusion. There's no control in the second and third movies. They never had control. Um, no, there's no con- there's no control. It's also people who put themselves willingly in that situation. Well, in, you know, in Alan Grant's case, not quite willingly. But you, you yeah, but you he's know having I mean. fun like, once he's there. You can people, tell. People enter that situation and they know what they're in for, whereas yeah. the first and especially the fourth movie with, like, the general public – is like totally unsuspecting. Yeah. Um, and the scene where the, I guess they're not pterodactyls, I think they're ter- pterodons? I'm pterodons, not sure. sure. Yeah, where they attack the general public was great. Also, I felt like this movie had a sense of restraint to it, which I know sounds crazy, but... <laughs> These are subtle movies that show restraint. <laughs> um, yeah. But think about it. There's only one dinosaur gets loose in 
Oh, for most well, of the, the fourth movie. All the pterodons get loose. Before that, there's only one dinosaur. One dinosaur gets loose, and then all the pterodons get loose, mm-hmm. right? Um, but the pterodons are not the most harmful of the dinosaurs, you know? Like, well, they're, they're they picking do... people up and dropping... They're not killing people. They are maiming a lot of people. I feel like the pterodons, as far as their impact on the general public, were like... I think most of the people who were injured or killed, who were, like, leaving at the end, yeah. the, like, waiting for the boat... I feel like had not interacted with the Indominus Rex. No, they, it was just the pterodons. Yeah. 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 And the, I mean, a lot of those people are like banged up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of felt like that was their like way to attack the public, but not necess- but maybe not maul the public to death. Like they didn't let <laughs> a bunch just, of raptors loose in the public, right? And just, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then towards the end of the movie, when whenever any other dinosaurs get out... It's the whole i. It's the whole idea of like, well, if we let this dinosaur loose, maybe it will kill this other dinosaur. And they do it twice. You know, <laughs> it doesn't work, and they do it again. Uh, I love the idea that, that like shit's gotten so bad that our only chance is to let the T Rex out. You know? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is silly. I did love that moment. I love I it. Love I love the... it. Ugh. That moment was nice too because I feel like Bryce Dallas Howard's character had. Re- some not redemption because it's not like she had other than taking the dinosaurs for granted and underestimating and like disrespecting the harm that the Indominus Rex could cause. But it's not like she was a Dennis Nedry character that had sort of like actively or maliciously caused a problem. Yeah. But there was still redemption there where she was really playing an active role that I feel like, Mm -hmm. We're sort of waiting the the whole movie for her to do something badass. Something about the fourth movie that is not like a it's not like a showstopper, but it's different from the first one for me is that it relies really heavily on this singular character. Whereas the first movie, I feel like, is this great, like really dynamic cast of different characters who all play important roles, mm-hmm. right? And you know, there's, you know, Dr. Grant, Dr. Sadler, and the kids. I mean, Lex plays, like, a really critical role in sort of saving the day yeah. when she, like, figures out how to, you know, reactivate the security it's system. A system. <laughs> 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 well, but, yeah, but she was, she was smart, right? Yeah. I mean, she, th- there were also, like, badass female characters in the first and second movies, yeah. right? Who are, like, um, although in like the Dottler, second movie, Dr. Sadler and Lex are both like very like badass total total badass and bryce dallas howard i mean she's tough and she's like you know she like rolls up her sleeves and she's like ready for action um and it finally comes to fruition when she lets the t-rex out yeah uh, like she like establishes herself as as a badass well, she but, gold blooms as the, hard as but gold for bloom. the most part like the, in the fourth movie the kids and her and the whole public and the like guy in charge what's his name the guy in charge who tries to drive the helicopter and just like doesn't know how to drive a helicopter yeah i mean like for the most part we're left with these sort of like woefully inadequate personalities and you've got like owen who's gonna come in he's gonna save the day whereas the first movie i feel like there's if it wasn't for grant the kids wouldn't have made it out and if it wasn't for sadler grant wouldn't have made it out (laughs) and if it wasn't for you know god even like well, Muldoon and oh, Muldoon. Uh, and gosh, what Arnold? What's a, what's a, what's a Sam Jackson's character's name? I think it's Arnold. Arnold. 
Yeah. They all risk their life. Like they, they're all yeah. risking their lives for one another. Even Hammond is super charismatic. And even though he's obsessed with his dinosaurs and sort of caused the problem in the first place, like you've got all these different characters who are really all saving the day together. And some of them like giving their lives for one another. Um, we see a little bit of that in the second movie with Toby. I don't think we see any of that in any of the other movies. Like this real sense of camaraderie. Actually, we see that a few times in the second movie. You see, God, what is who's the new Muldoon? I don't actually don't like that re- that way of referring to him because mm-hmm. I think Muldoon is a really like great character who really respects these animals, and I Agreed. appreciate the fact that this other guy, this other bald guy, is a. Um, like he's a hunter and he's sort of like a woodsman in the way that Muldoon is. He carries a gun, but I just, I never really bought his whole thing of like, I'm going to kill just, the T-Rex. I just need yeah. to kill the T-Rex. Like it's an animal that's, it's, you know, it's yeah. never been alive before. And so I'm going to kill the shit out of it. I, it's stupid. Uh, uh, yeah. So, I, so I don't, so I don't like that, but, but he has this, um, his partner, right. Who, uh, the guy that gets killed. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. There's like there's like people risking their lives in in a way that we don't see that in the in the third movie. Everyone's self interested. In the fourth movie, uh, everyone we care about lives. So so nothing bad really ever happens. So the um, one exception to that is is Mizrani dying. Oh, and he was one of my favorite parts of this movie. He was like the charisma of Ian Malcolm with like the vision of. John Hammond rolled into what? one character. What? I loved his character. What? I thought he was fantastic. I think he's like the perfect boss, you I, know? I think his character, it does its duty. Like, he represents, I don't know about the perfect boss, but like a quintessential boss person who's sort of in the clouds, but still, I'm pretty sure, is referring to the dinosaurs as assets. Yeah, and but like refers his... to the di- like oh no like no we can't you know they're sending in the containment unit and uh, you know and Owen is like oh they need to kill that dinosaur and he's like no that that's an asset worth a million dollars yeah uh, I don't know I think that guy is still pretty disconnected is not a Hammond esque visionary and is just sort of like. Hey, like I'm in charge of this stuff, and uh, and I I'm a rich so, dude, and I'm going to drive a okay, helicopter. But, but well, I don't his know how to whole drive a point of the whole thing was like, this is a place where people go to have fun, and I want them to have fun. Like he his his vision was the park being open in a way that Hammond was never able to achieve. One of my absolute favorite parts of this movie was the fact that the park is open. You know, oh, like I when love you that get the there and you see the realization of Hammond's vision, and he's the guy who. Is running it. You know, he's mm-hmm. the guy who's making it happen for real in a way that Hammond never could. Well, that's unclear. I feel like Bryce Dallas Howard is running it. She's like the on-the-ground, day-to-day, like, what's the gritty details of running it thing. He's like the, the person above her who's like, what is the... Um, like, what's the idea of what we're trying to do? Like, are we? is everything we're doing Hammond, like, in Hammond the idea? Hammond had the idea. She's got the elbow grease. He's got the money. Miserani. <laughs> no, he just inherited this thing. And he's like doing an okay job. And I think the fact that the park is like successful and open is probably due to him. Well. And also, that guy was charismatic as fuck. <laughs> I didn't dislike him when you know when he was on screen. I really liked the uh the sort of lore around Hammond and the original yeah. park. Yeah. That was really fun. That was great. I really like when uh I don't know, that one guy has the original Jurassic Park yeah. t shirt and Nick that sort of from taboo. New Girl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, 
actually loved him in that movie. He I was great. I forget what the actor's name is. Uh, Jake Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. He's like really f- funny. He was great. His but little yeah, romance but... with the girl who was the guard in season two of Orange is the New Black. Yeah. I don't know any of their names in this movie. I just <laughs> let's call them by their old other yeah. character names. That romance was really adorable. He wore Dennis Nedry's glasses. Like, he wore the same exact glasses really? that Nedry wore. That's funny. Well, the same style, not the same yeah. pair. But uh, he was kind of like the, the good version of Dennis Nedry, you know? I thought his character was fantastic. I kept waiting for a raptor to go into that room and bite his head off. Yeah, I was wondering if that was going to happen. Yeah. It didn't. Uh, and I, I think the thing we were all nervous about going into this was the idea that the raptors could be tamed, you know? And they can't. And they can't. And... <laughs> They did not do them a disservice, uh, and the idea that Owen was the alpha, you know, I thought that they they did it justice. I thought they did a good job. I was concerned. I was really concerned. We saw that scene in the trailer where Owen is on the ground with the Raptors, like holding his hands up as if he's got them under control. Yeah. And I was really glad when, in actuality, of course, you know, he trains them from, you know, the Raptors up above, and he's yeah. down there risking his life to save someone, and they still just about nearly eat him um to me that was really cool like they are trainable in the sense that they have intelligence that we can connect with yeah but they're still predators and they are still not our allies they're not our friends in a way and the indominus rex become when he becomes the alpha that's when everything just like clicked for me. I'm like, all right, I'm on board. You know, like it Yeah, I I really liked that moment. I wasn't wild despite the fact that it was cinematically fucking rad to have Chris Pratt, like riding along his motorcycle alongside the Raptors. That was a little bit corny for me. We just saw this scene where like we were just talking about, he's surrounded by them. They're almost going to eat him. He appreciates their, the extraordinary danger they represent. And now they're sending them loose to go after this other dinosaur Chris Pratt is following them, could just continue to follow them, just stay 10, 20 yards back so that they still focus on the scent and don't get distracted by the dude riding the motorcycle and decide to eat him instead. But he's just like right up in there, right in the middle. That's a good point. That was like, like, you know, that's a little, that's a little silly, but you know, still really badass. I mean, and fun, right? Like that was like a super fun part of the movie. And then when they turn, I thought that was really gratifying. <laughs> that was really yeah. gratifying. But then equally ungratifying when they turned back. When he just like, at they the, exchange at the a very look. End. Like they just yeah. give each other lover's eyes. And the <laughs> raptor's like, you know what? I'm with you, man. I don't know. So that, was, that was a little silly. The only reason that that didn't bother me too much is that they've, they spent a lot of time building up the idea that the raptors are very intelligent. You know, in, sure. in the third movie, they talk about the fact that um, if raptors hadn't gone extinct, they would probably be the... I think it's the third movie. They say they'd probably be the dominant species yeah. on the earth. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense to me that that these raptors would recognize a friend. You know, maybe he did tap into their whole like sociological structure where he was the alpha, and maybe you know I don't know. It, it worked for me the fact that they didn't do so well with their new alpha, so they would go back to their old alpha. Mm-hmm. And it was just a great moment when they just, you know, when they killed the Indominus Rex and then he looks at that one raptor that survived and they, they like, hey, hey, bud. And then he like <laughs> runs off the other direction. Uh, and also 
the fucking T-Rex. And it was the same T-Rex as the first movie. Yeah, it's the same like character. That. Yeah. I like that. Because he's got the raptor scars on his neck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last shot where he's like standing above the park and screaming, just fucking great. I, I love that movie. I was so along for the ride. Uh, definitely my second favorite um, Jurassic Park movie. There's parts of it that I liked even better than the first movie. How did the first, how did the T-Rex from the original movie survive the Lyceum contingency? So they talk about that in the second movie that the animals were all eating plants that were heavy in Lyceum. I guess. So the Lyceum contingency just flat out did nothing. It didn't do jack shit. Actually, that's something that I never understood in the first movie that there is this like Lyceum contingency. They can withhold this nutrient from the dinosaurs that will kill them. But then they're referring to it in the control room when, you know, power is down and stakes are dire. And they're saying like, well, should we enact the lysine contingency as if it's a switch that they can flip, but that doesn't make any sense. Like, well, like none of these dinosaurs are being fed in the meantime. So it's not like, like what is in, you know, enacting the Lyceum contingency entail, they're, uh, I don't know. They I make never their stomachs that. explode. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. yeah no, that, you're that right. Was, I've never thought about weird. that, but it doesn't yeah. make sense. Cause the idea is that they would die within seven days if they're not being fed sure, by the park. Sure, sure. So it's not like that gets them out of deep shit in the meantime. Yeah. When, but yeah, they planted soybeans escape. all over the place that are high in lysine or whatever. Yeah. Was it soybeans? I don't know. Uh, I liked, I love the idea just in the series as a whole that their safety mechanism doesn't work. Mm-hmm. That it just doesn't do anything. Yeah. So they think that all the dinosaurs will die, and they just don't. Well, there you have it, folks. Two grown men talking about Jurassic Park for a good long time. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. And for the love of God, come back next week. We got a real special episode. Barton and I are going to listen to a bunch more of his Great Pacific Garbage Vortex music, and it's fucking awesome. And we're also going to talk about the sci-fi movies that inspired his music. Also, mark your calendars. August 8th at the High Dive at 9 or 10 p.m. or something. We'll be doing our very last show as Mugatu. Uh, Barton and I are going to talk a little bit about what it means for us to play in Mugatu in next week's episode as well. Don't want to miss that. And you don't want to miss our last show. It's going to be epic. There's going to be men flying flying all over the stage, sweating. There's going to be uh, Butt Dial and Chaotic Noise Marching Corps supporting us at this show. Chaotic Noise, if you haven't seen them, are just so awesome. Uh, it's like being inside of a marching band mixed with maybe some Satanism mixed with uh, I, like body butter. It's just, it's just so good. And, and we got Butt Dial. Butt Dial is just fantastic. You got Lou Badu. Uh, Luis Benito on trumpet. You got uh, some guy wearing pornography all over himself. You got Kitty Camaro singing you songs and playing you saxophone. Just amazing musicians. Incredible night of music. Man, I'm so excited about that. I'm devastated that our band is coming to an end, but so excited about this show. So I know what you want. I know what you want right now. You've been thinking about it. You've been listening to Jurassic Park talk for the last hour, and you're just salivating All you want is some John Williams. I'm going to give it to you. We're going to close out this episode with some of the greatest movie music that has ever been written. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye.